1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganger from College Coach. For the first two segments, I'll be talking with Shannon Vesconcelos, a regular here on the podcast, um, college coach finance expert. She and I will be answering listener questions, so that should be really fun. Um, Hopefully, we'll be able to have Kimberly Aselta, a former admission officer at Babson College, join us to talk about admission to business programs, but we'll see. We've been having some technical difficulties. So um, anyway, welcome, Shannon. How are you today? Thanks, Sally. I'm great. How are you? I am doing really well. Thank you. Good. So it looks to me like there are more admission questions than finance questions, <laughs> yes. So, um, which I always think is funny because I always think the biggest problem is paying for college. Over, yeah. <laughs> over, like, I mean, there's lots of colleges. The, the hard part is paying for it. But um, so why don't you, um, oh, you know what? There are questions that I wanna ask, but I also wanted to give a quick update. Uh, We got some great feedback from a listener about a response that Beth had given. So I'm gonna do that quick update and then maybe you can go ahead and ask me a question. Does that sound good? good? Okay, thanks. All right, so this is from Todd and Beth answered a question a couple months ago about a test score, about test score reporting when his daughter's ACT composite was better than her SAT. And her two English ACT subscores were much higher than her SAT uh, verbal subscores. But her SAT math subscore was better than her ACT math score, enough so that really they wanted to superscore the two tests together, which my understanding, honestly, had always been that's not possible. But things have been changing. So Beth gave very good advice. Call the schools. Find out. And apparently Clemson said they just wanted the single highest composite. But UNC, I'm guessing this is UNC Chapel Hill, said that they would convert the ACT subscores to SAT equivalents. So there you go. Call the school. Send them all in. It looks like they'll probably take, in some cases, they will take the highest score. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I wanted to make sure the listeners knew about that.
2: Right. And that is why our answers are very often they start with it depends. It depends. <laughs> it really does. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Okay. So the first question for you today, Sally, comes in from Tommy. And Tommy asks, Are group prep classes or one on one test tutoring better?
1: Okay. Um, I mean, in general, I would always say one on one test because your student and what your student needs to work on is always going to be a little bit different from what the next student needs to work on. I think this is going to be especially the case for students who are pretty far away from the average, like a typical test prep class is going to really be shooting towards that average, maybe students who are shooting for a 1200. If your kid already has a 1300 and wants to get a 1400, they're not going to get as much out of that class. They're going to get some of the tips and tricks. But a good tutor, what I've seen, is they can really like look at the student's strengths and weaknesses and really tailor um, their homework so that they're working on the specific skills they need to. So if nothing else, it's a huge time saver to yeah. go with a tutor over a class. The other thing, too, that I'll say is that a lot of high schools are working really hard to make the SAT and ACT like a a less painful experience for their students so they offer classes, but unfortunately the classes through the high schools tend to be, I think, some of the least effective because, and I'm saying this as a former high school counselor, the students all know each other, they know they're not being graded, they chat, they don't take it as seriously even as they would a class that was with students who were not fellow pupils. Mind you, pandemic, this has all been a little different, right? Like everybody's on a screen, so maybe that hasn't been so bad. But when I set up classes for my students, I saw a lot of chit-chatting. <laughs> you know, i go in there and tell them to be quiet sometimes and listen to the poor teacher who was really doing his best to give them some good information. So, um, so yes, one-on-one test tutoring, if you can afford it. A couple provisos, by the way, make sure that this student uh, make sure that this tutor can tutor for even the SAT or ACT and can help you figure out which one you're going to be better at and make sure that it's not someone who just does a little tutoring part-time. I find that right. someone who's an English teacher who picks up a little tutoring on the side is not going to be as effective. They're going to be great as an English tutor, but they're not going to be as good at a test prep tutor. That's all. So, right. yeah. All right. So on to finance. Um, So Greg says, as you have shared with us, the new FAFSA, Free Application for Federal Student Aid Index, will no longer factor in the number of children in one family in college at the same time. Are you hearing anything from colleges indicating how institutional financial aid offices may also adopt this or choose not to adopt this policy?
2: That's a great question, and. The truth is, we just really don't know yet. Um, and to give a little bit of background, Sally, for folks who may have missed uh, the episode a, a couple of weeks ago where you and I spoke about all the legislative mm-hmm. changes that were happening in regards to paying for college. Um, a bill passed at the end of December um, called the FAFSA Simplification Act that made a whole lot of changes to the, the FAFSA form itself. Um, Eliminated many of the questions, uh, changes to how the need-based financial aid, uh, in terms of federal aid, (laughs) how that calculation would be done. And one of the big, big, huge changes for a lot of families is that they removed um, the splitting of the expected family contribution um, between any kids you have enrolled in college. Currently, if you have you know, maybe you uh, your first child applies to college and they calculate a $30,000 expected family contribution for you. And then the next year, maybe a younger child also goes to college. You have two in college. That $30,000 contribution gets split in half between the two kids. And if you had three in college, it gets split three ways. Um, so your total contribution between all your kids is consistent. Um the changes that go into effect for the 23-24 school year have removed that splitting. So if you have $30,000 contribution for child one, and then a second child goes to school, you also have a $30,000 contribution for them. So you are needing to now come up with $60,000 total, which is obviously problematic for a lot of families. Um, So this is in regards to the federal financial aid calculations. So in determining eligibility for federal aid, subsidized direct loans, Pell Grants, things like that. Colleges can award their own institutional aid any darn way they please. The FAFSA is keeping the question on the form about how many kids you have enrolled in college to give colleges the option. If they want to split the contribution for their calculations in terms of their institutional aid, they can do that if they want to, or they can follow the new federal treatment where the contribution is not split. Uh, And we just don't know yet what colleges are going to do in terms of their institutional aid. Um, We have talked to all, you know, all of us here at college coach previously worked at colleges. We have lots of friends, former colleagues in college admissions and financial aid offices. We've talked to a whole lot of them and the pretty consistent answer we're getting is we have no idea yet. Um, They are just trying to get through, you know, this Cycle right now. Colleges are a lot of colleges are in a really terrible financial position right now, and they're figuring out how to award their funds for this year and help students who are also really struggling right now. That's the primary focus of colleges right now. We actually also have a former colleague who now um, works for a financial aid consulting company where she advises colleges about how to award their financial aid uh, in a way that maximizes their institutional interests. She has been trying to talk to the colleges she works with about it, and she's getting the same response that we're getting in terms of they're just trying to get through this year, and they have not decided that. So, sorry, I don't have a great answer for you at, at this point, Greg. We just don't know. You know, we, What colleges, I would say, are thinking about is um, not splitting the expected contribution, what will now be known as the student aid index, they're just changing that name, um, will save them money. So that's you know one determining factor that's going into it. We won't have to award as much financial aid. We can conserve some of our resources if we follow the federal treatment and do not split um, the contribution be- between the kids in college. On the other hand, though, colleges also have to worry about all their competitor colleges, uh-huh. uh, all trying to recruit the same students. So if one college says, They will split that contribution and therefore they award more generous financial aid. That college is at a competitive advantage and that might lead more of their competitor colleges to also keep doing the split and not follow the federal treatment. So that's a long answer to we just don't know. There's a lot of factors going into it and uh, we're going to time's going to have to tell a little bit on this one because colleges for the most part have just not decided yet.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's good for people to know the backstory regardless, so they don't think colleges are just like, eh, we don't care about this. It's like, right. no, they're, they're they're hanging on by their fingernails right now, so they're doing the best they can. So Exactly. Okay.
2: Uh, and then the next admissions question, Sally, comes in from Tina, and she asks, how do you help a student find distinguishing excellence, especially when your student is not an athlete? It sounds like if you're a GPA or whatever the superlative grade status is called these days, um, and you have a 1500 SAT, you still have to find a way to distinguish yourself beyond Eagle Scout or YouTube star. How do you find that passion or that excellence? Um, What ways are there to explore what your student might be capable of um, and what your student may find
1: interest in? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, first, I want to say that it's true that for the most selective colleges and by that we're talking Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, like maybe MIT, Brown, I mean, we're really talking about maybe 10 institutions where we need a distinguishing excellence. So before everybody panics, like there are 4000 institutions in this country, I can personally name probably 300 if you pushed me to it where like and and the limitations are just my memory i'm not saying there's only 300 good colleges in this country it's just my memory if i could sit down and personally name 300 colleges that are great launching pads for students into their future so again like and they don't need distinguishing excellences they just want a good kid with decent grades who's taken some decently rigorous courses that's all that's what they want so um So it is true, though, like for those very most selective colleges, they want something that distinguishes you. And it's true that being an Eagle Scout is not particularly distinguishing. Um, It's a good, solid activity, though, and it's going to work for most places. Um, But they want something that ideally... Maybe has gone beyond just kind of the local community. I mean, an example of that that I would give um, is I had a student who got into Yale she had no she had no hook she wasn't an athlete, she wasn't a legacy or anything, but she was not only a brilliant student academically, she was also in charge of Habitat for Humanity. Um, for not just her school, but for the county. So she could point Mm -hmm. to some really significant leadership. Um, On the other hand, I had a student who went to MIT who didn't have that traditionally defined leadership, but he was one of the people who would regularly update Wikipedia. He researched math constantly by himself and apparently would even argue with his teacher, his like linear algebra teacher about, um, you know, things that happen. So his distinguishing excellence in some ways was really like that kind of intellectual, these really intellectual pursuits. So I want to get across that this can be varied. And what you always want to do is really start with your student and start with what they care about. I mean, first of all, if they don't care about it, they're not going to be able to bring that level of effort to it. I don't think it's just not realistic. So, you know, starting when they're younger, observe the kinds of things that get them really excited, observe the kinds of things that they like to talk about. Um, Recently, I was on the phone, I mentioned this already, in a conversation with Kira, but it was such a classic, such a perfect example. A student on her own started talking to me about her interest in um, privacy issues. Like she was interested in computer science, but really interested in the ethics and the challenges of of Silicon Valley and how it was impacting society as a whole. And I hear that kind of thing so rarely. I thought, this is super exciting. Like, how would you want to pursue this? And, you know, we kind of brainstormed for a while and that's likely to become a distinguishing excellence for for her. But it really had to start with her. Um, I mean, I have a nephew who, he is a great kid. He's very bright, going off to college in the fall. But you know what? His main passion is environmental science. So, and the Boy Scouts was what he wanted to do. And it's okay. His life isn't over because he's not going to Princeton. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so let kids sort of pick what matters to them. And, and frankly, we were thrilled about the environmental science. And all that volunteer work because otherwise he just wanted to play video games. So take, realize these are teenagers and encourage them in those really positive ways. And then you can kind of figure out what what will work for them. Perfect. Okay. All right. So um, Kim has a question. I have six children and no college savings. We do not have twins. How should I approach financial aid planning? My oldest will go to college in five years. Are there any programs to help big families that may not have children in college at the same time?
2: Right. So, Kim, as we just talked about, even if they are in college at the same time, depending on where they end up attending and the school's policy, that may not make any difference anyway. Uh, but I would say in general, there aren't really any special programs, for, particularly for large families. Um, the size of your household is taken into account as part of the standard financial aid formula. And that's actually one part of the formula that changed for or is about to change for the better for the 23-24 school year. They have increased the allowances they give for um, you know, households of various sizes. And so the bigger your household, the bigger that allowance is going to be. Um, So it's naturally going to be taken into account as part of the financial aid process. Um, I would say, you know, just in terms of some do's and don'ts and, you know, special considerations for a large family that has six kids, um, something I would say not to do, be very cognizant of, is not giving free reign to your first child to, you know, go wherever they want, no matter how much it costs and, you know, spend down all your resources for the first child. I have certainly seen that happen when families come to us a little later in the process and they've already, you know, spent all their savings down to get their first child through college. And now they're, they've got child two or three. Uh It's usually not six, but that, you know, that exacerbates the problem where they, you know, now they're trying to figure out what to do and they've used up all their resources and they want to be fair to the next child and tell them they can go anywhere they want, but they don't have the money to pay for it anymore. So just be very cognizant from, uh, you know, day one and when we are making decisions for the first child, how it's going to affect the five coming behind them. Um, in terms of, you know, what to do for now, you've got five years, save as much as you can. Uh it, Don't worry about what you haven't saved so far. You can start today. Um, And even if it's just a little bit, every little bit does help. Um, Definitely kind of do the math in terms of your budget and set some boundaries for your kids. Look, this is what we can afford because we can't, again, spend everything on you when we've got five kids coming behind you. I think it's great to give the kids some responsibility in terms of paying for college. That doesn't mean too much responsibility. You know, that means probably borrowing um, some direct Stafford loans. And you can do up to $30,000 total over your four years. Um, Giving much responsibility beyond that, I think, is very risky in terms of how much they'll realistically be able to pay back with their first job out of college. But the kids can certainly take on some responsibility of borrowing a little bit, working a little bit to pay some bills, um, that kind of thing. And then I think really just keeping an open mind in terms of what colleges um, they attend. You know, if your resources are limited, think about what you can actually afford. And maybe it's thinking about community college for a couple of years for each of the kids, potentially. Uh, Maybe it's thinking about Public college as opposed to private college or that private college where your kid really stands out from the crowd and is going to be offered lots of merit scholarships. Um, thinking about those decisions, which I think, you know, everybody has to think about college is a challenge to pay for if you only have one child and you want to be thinking about all of these things. But, um, you know, it's just you know, multiplied when you have six kids. So just really giving some serious thought and having discussions with your kids early on in the process Mm -hmm. um, so that everybody is on the same page.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always like to tell, I feel like my mom did it perfectly. So I always like to brag on her with this. Um, I didn't want to go to the public schools in my state, which people thought was crazy because I lived in California, but those Mm -hmm. schools were too big for me for what I wanted. So my mom said, you can apply to these private colleges. And if it works out, you can go to one of them, but you may have to go to the public school and you need to be okay with that. And yeah. I was like, okay. And I was okay with it. It worked out for me to go to private school. I only had to borrow like 15,000, totally worth it. Never regretted it. But yeah, she would never have let me borrow 60,000 to go there. And and I'm glad for it. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think parents
2: have to sometimes... Uh, kind of be the bad guy and lay down that law when you're talking about a 17 or 18 year old kid who has never, you know, worked a full time job, never had to pay back a a car loan or a mortgage, and has no concept of what these kinds of numbers mean. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the parents just have to step in and and be the
1: adult in the situation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a break now. Thanks so much, Shannon. Sure.
3: what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
0: You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment, or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back
1: to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome back, Shannon. Let's keep going with those questions.
2: Sure. And the next question comes in from Christine. And Christine says, I'd love to hear your insights on how collegiate sports play a role in deciding where kids choose to attend college specifically kids who want to play at the collegiate level and are offered partial scholarships to play their desired sport. Thank you for the consideration.
1: So this is this is a tough one because families, different families and different people are going to have different priorities. So my suggestion to families is really always that they prioritize the academics. I mean, I suppose if you are the next, well, definitely, if you're the next Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or whoever it might be, I don't know that many sports athletes, <laughs> but I've heard, I've heard of those too. Then, obviously, if you're showing that level of promise, probably you are going to go pro. But if you're not sure if you're even going to be able to play at D1, um, you, you know, then, or if your scholarship is partial and not 100%, um I'm thinking that this education is going to be extremely important to you. Um the other thing to think about too is most pro athletes even if they play they only play for a couple of years. So again, education is going to be very very important to you. So my recommendation is that you really prioritize um the education. Right, yeah. because the fact is, and I worked at uh, Whittier College, and occasionally I would interview students who were coming from d two and sometimes even d one sports, and they'd want to transfer to us and I'd say, so given where you've been playing football, like you know our football's not going to be as good, right like it's <laughs> just and you know one student in particular said it so well, he said, "I want to be a biology major, I'm thinking about becoming a doctor, and my coach." I mean, I have a free education there, he said, but it's not much of an education when my coach is telling me I can't major in biology. I mean, this was a student who was considering pre-med and his coach wanted him to take a major that was not going to prepare him for that. So, you know, whatever, however much fun he was having playing football, playing football there was not going to work for him. And I was able to promise him that if he came to Whittier to a school that was division three, where truly the coach knew that the students were scholars first an athlete second, that he could also, he could actually be a pre-med student, or even if you don't want to be pre-med, but you just, you know, it's about the college degree. The college degree is going to be the thing that you're going to be able to take with you, whether you play pro and whether you don't. So I always recommend that students, certainly a scholarship can be a helpful thing, but make sure that the school is also going to let you treat the academics as seriously as, uh, as you want to. Agreed.
2: The next question is from Kelly and Kelly says, my son is a junior and plans to apply early decision to a selective small liberal arts college because this school does not have any supplemental essays nor a why this college essay. Can his common app essay be geared toward this school specifically? There is so much about this school that makes it a great fit for him But without the why this college essay, he isn't sure how to convey that to the admissions committee. You recommend that students submit separate essays to different schools, even if all use the CONAP. Thanks for any suggestions.
1: All right. So the answer to that is really no. And I can absolutely understand why people might want to do that. They really love a particular school. Um and they want to make sure that school knows that. So but so I'm gonna tell you uh I'm gonna give you kind of two perspectives. One is on the common app essay and one is on other ways to let that st- college to know how much you love them. So because that's not a bad thing either. So first of all, the common application essay is expected to be the same essay for every school. It's not that you get in trouble if you change it, but it's really designed to be the same essay for every school. If a school wants you to wants to know in writing how much you like them, they will ask, right? So the fact that this college has not asked that question means that that's not a priority to see it through the essay. The other problem too is that, there's actually two problems with this. One is that I can't tell you how often I would see students say, well, I'm working at Chicago and say, this is why I love Northwestern so much. I mean, that is not a good look on a college admission (laughs) essay. And it happens more often than you would think. I mean, students say I would never do that, but you know what, the students who did it didn't think they would do it either. So so that's one thing to be aware of. the other thing to think about though too is that it can really damage your essay if you talk about the college because the essay is not designed to be a why this college essay it's not designed to be a cover letter it's really designed to be a deep dive into who the student is and so they really don't want that kind of broad like yeah they don't want a cover letter i'm going to sort of summarize it that way The good news is there are other ways to do this, Um, like one of the big ones is if it's a small liberal arts college, they might be offering interviews. Set up an interview. That's the perfect place. I tell students, whatever else you say in an interview, tell them how excited you are about their college. If it's your first choice, tell them, like, absolutely, that is the place to do it. Even if you can't get an interview, you can probably send some emails to the admission counselor. Um, You know, just to kind of say, hey, I love your school. I hope you're going to come and visit my high school. Um, You know, go to the school visit. If they come to your high school, go to the college fair. If they have a reception, go to the reception. Go up, say hello to them. You know, you don't want to become a stalker. There is a fine line like, you know, you don't want we're not talking weekly emails. We're not talking anything like that. But, you know, some of those points of contact and especially an interview where you really express that interest is going to work beautifully and you're going to be doing everything sort of the way the colleges are wanting you to. Perfect.
2: And then the, what I think is probably our last admissions question um, says, I have a question about letters of recommendation specifically from the school counselor. My son attends a public high school where the counselor knows the kids, but not well. Can my son request that she discuss a couple of specific things in her letter of recommendation that he hopes to have highlighted in his application?
1: So this is a tough one because I think it's really fair for students to want to provide information to counselors, but you never want to tell someone how to do their job. Right. I can, I was a high school counselor and occasionally I had a parent. Usually it was a parent, honestly, come to me and say, I need you to put this in the letter. And that bothered me because I'm the one who knows how these things work. Right. Yeah. On the other hand, when parents and students came to me and said, these are the things I'm thinking about highlighting in the application. I wanted to make sure you knew about them. Here's mm-hmm. my resume that highlights them. I was like, excellent. You're doing my, yeah. like, you're helping me out you're making here. Making my job like, easier. You're yeah. making my job easier. And I can choose or not choose to include them Um, where I think it's going to help the student. So I would really like, that's the way to do it. Just watch kind of how you do it is what I would say. Now, the one exception to that is that sometimes students have a really valid comment where like, they're like, look, I wanted to take AP physics, but I had to take honors because it didn't fit. It conflicted with my AP Latin class or something like that. I think it's really fair in that situation to say to the counselor, do you think you could let the the schools know that? I want to make sure they know that I would have taken both. That is fair, but don't tell them like, this is what a good, essentially you don't want to tell them what a good recommendation looks like. Yes.
2: (laughs) And don't many um, high schools make it easy for kids? And don't they often provide like a a brag sheet form to fill out? Mm -hmm. So that's your way where you can Mm -hmm. let the school counselor know the things that you want highlighted.
1: Absolutely. I did that. And sometimes students would sort of come in and to meet with me about it, which I encourage. And they would say like, you know, this is the stuff that's the most important to me. And that was another way of letting me know that that was something to highlight. So take advantage of the brag sheets. Thank your counselor profusely. You don't want to get on their bad side. Even if you find them annoying, they're (laughs) writing you a letter of recommendation. So just always keep that in mind. So, all right, well, I think that we are set for the questions. So um, we'll go ahead and close out for now. So thank you so much, Shannon. You're so welcome, Sally.
3: what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN
0: You are listening to Getting In A College Coach Conversation To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm very happy to say that we now have Kimberly Asselta, um, college coach, veteran, and former admission officer at Babson College here joining us. We had some technical difficulties earlier, or she would have been here before, but um, she's here with us now, so I'm really pleased. Um, so, Kimberly, you worked at Babson, so you have experience that I do not, having worked exclusively at you know, kind of liberal arts type environments, although I will say that Whittier had a business major, so I had a little bit of exposure. But so, business is a little different from just applying into, say, like economics or history or something like that. So, you know, hoping that you can, um, like what are some of the things that, that students should be thinking about?
3: Sure, sure. Yes, yeah, so I joined the team at Babson after five years working at Holy Cross and having gone to a liberal arts school as well. So when I started my position at Babson, I was really not sure either about how that transition was going to go for me personally and for what we were really going to be looking for in students. I would say the the one big thing that I learned very early on and it was also a little uncomfortable when we'd have students come in at the junior senior year and have to talk about the importance of the math curriculum and number one having precalculus that was basically a prerequisite for students applying to babson and is true along most business programs higher level math right it's just something that is expected and sometimes students and families didn't know that so that was always a a difficult conversation to have because at that point in high school there wasn't much more that you can do Um, but after that really the types of students were similar and different in in in, you know lots of different ways i think the students that were applying to babson had really self-selected that business is what they wanted. Cause that's all that we, that we did there, right? So they mm-hmm. already knew that business is what they wanted. They knew that they had those, some of the skills, those softer skills that were going to make them successful. So they had the math mm-hmm. or didn't, and we had to tell them that. And then they had some of those um, softer skills like creativity. I was really surprised when I started at Babson, just how creative these, we tend to, I think, think that business-minded people and folks are more sort of math science, but the students are really creative and thoughtful. Problem solving was a big thing that we were looking for, ability to see and identify problems and figure out ways to solve them. Leadership, which I know you and I want to talk a little bit more about, but that was certainly something that we that we looked for, but in different ways, I think, than families sometimes think about. Um, the ability to work as a team and collaborate was huge, especially at Babson, because the first year curriculum was revolved around working at it as a team. So those are some of the things that we were looking for with students.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So let's take a deeper dive into like a number of those, because those are all really important. And I want to make sure people understand them. So math is more important than the business electives that high schools offer. I think it's really important to note that. And can you dig into a little bit more sure. about why that is?
3: So I definitely saw a number of applications where it was clear the student was interested in business based on all of the electives that that student had taken. However, they had taken those electives at the expense of those more academic courses that we talk about on this show all of the time, right? The mm-hmm. math, science, history, English, world language, those even at a school that is looking for students interested in business are the the most important with math kind of Mm -hmm. coming up as the top one. Just like with other majors, using those electives, if your high school offers them an intro to accounting, a marketing class, right, a personal finance, those are great ways to show that interest in business and get Mm -hmm. acquainted with what you might be studying, but not at the expense of perhaps an AP U.S. history, right? Mm-hmm. Or a physics class. You want to make sure that your academics, those solid academics are
1: there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always figured too, like with computer science, engineering, those kinds of things, like the students go into who go into business are not going to stumble when it comes to the fun parts, right? If right. they've been taking those classes, but it's with the math class that they might stumble. So you need to know that they can do that kind of work. Exactly.
3: Most first year college, college courses in the business colleges will be based on something in calculus. So having that pre-calc background really was that prerequisite.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'll either be calculus itself or some sort of business math, including calculus. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So let's highlight that first and foremost, math is really important. So, Mm -hmm. um, And so what about, let's talk then about the leadership piece of this, because I think that that one's, you know, everybody thinks being a leader is being captain of a team or, um, you know, a school class president or um, whatever. And those things are good things, but that's not the only kind of leadership out there. Exactly.
3: And we talk about that a lot with with families. And we were really looking a little bit deeper, right, at, at students and their activities. Of course, leadership positions. We all were in high school. We know sometimes it's not necessarily the one with the most skills, but maybe a popularity contest. Mm -hmm. My boys still make fun of the fact that I was not captain of the cheerleading team in high school, Um, even though that's hard for me to admit. I was not elected captain, um, nor was I president of student council, but there are certain leadership qualities and certain ways that students can show leadership potential in different ways. So We always think about students who have started a club that I have an example of a student that I read an application years ago, the high school did not have a girls golf team. The girls had to play on the boys team and this girl realized that this was an issue wanted to start a team and went through all of the channels that needed to happen to make that happen so she mm-hmm. needed to find students that were interested she needed to petition the school she needed to find an advisor and there were all of those steps that showed all of those different leadership qualities she wasn't necessarily she didn't necessarily have a title right but there was she was a founder i guess. Mm-hmm that particular organization. Um, A student, again, another applicant that I remember who realized after cleaning out his garage that the garage was full of old sports equipment, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody was using it and figured out a way to get all of his friends and family together to clean out their garages and started an actual nonprofit that Mm -hmm. donated used sports equipment to students and and children that needed those in other areas. So those types of things are also ways to show leadership. Leadership in the classroom, Mm -hmm. in a recommendation where a teacher says, I notice when this student isn't here in the class, right? This student is not afraid to ask the questions that other students might be afraid to, or I lean on this student to help the other students that are struggling. So there are some of those qualities that, again, don't often come with a title, but that can be looked at and you can sort of extract out of an application.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah. I mean, like I talked to, you know, when I, when, when I was a high school counselor, I would sometimes talk to coaches about students and they would say, you know, he's, he's not the captain because, you know, typically we choose the best player, which is a separate issue, but um, they're like, but he's the one who does the mentoring of the ninth graders who come in. And I think like, that's leadership. I mean, that like, boy, like, like, mentors them, sees if they're struggling. Like when I, when I would read a comment like that, I mean, I wasn't reading for business, but everybody likes leadership at some level. And that really impressed me because it was mm-hmm. also it leavened with like real compassion. You know, you knew that this was going to be someone who would work so well in a team. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that seems to matter. That probably mattered more at Babson than most places. Cause you said the first year was all about projects.
3: All about project work. So even a leader in a class project, right? I mean, even that that's the person that can get everybody to work well together or can sort of cohesively get everyone's ideas onto one page. Right. So think those would come up maybe not in a listing of activities, but in a recommendation or in an essay. Um, Those are things that we'd be looking a little bit deeper for, for sure. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think it's important to note these things because I do, I talk to a lot of parents who say, well, my kid's an introvert. They're not going to be elected student body president. And I'm like, well, they can accomplish things. Or like, let's say a student has some kind of a different interest. Like I had a student who was really interested in music. So he organized a battle of the bands. He never had a formal leadership position in high school in his you know, his whole time there, but he organized a battle of the bands, reached out to bands at other high schools and ended up organizing this huge event at, at Chadwick where I worked. It was great. Right.
3: Absolutely. Or theater students who are thinking because I'm not the lead I am not a leader in theater, right? And I'm always talking about the students that are on the the set crew or the lighting crew, right? There are people that are making things happen behind the scenes. And that's another thing that you bring up too. I I would hear a lot at Babson students that were thinking about it or parents that were concerned that their student was an introvert and that this was, you know, a school only of extroverts. And there, there has to be some sort of give and take to that, right? Somebody mm-hmm. has to be willing to sort of do the work and let so, you know, somebody else take the leadership role. So um, there's certainly students that may think that they're in the background, but without them, things would not happen. And really in, like, allowing students to think about, okay, you might not be the one out there front and center, but the work that you're doing is making something happen. And, and how do you kind of talk about that in an application?
1: So this brings up another issue, too, in terms of extracurriculars. I mean, I, generally speaking, do recommend that students join things like Future Business Leaders of America, partially for exposure, but is it still valuable if a student does theater or does things that are unrelated to business?
3: Especially bringing up theater, because my father-in-law is the theater director at a local high school, and he always says theater skills are skills for life, right? Mm -hmm. So everything from public speaking, being able to ro- go with the flow, right? When things don't happen like today, Sally, with you and me on the, <laughs> the podcast, right? It right. didn't go quite how we planned and We had to figure out other ways to make it work. Like those mm. are skills Life skills, but yes, business skills as well. So um, absolutely encouraging students. There's only so many leadership roles to go around in high school. Again, mm-hmm. we've all been there. There's only like, what, two captains of every team and mm-hmm. student council. There's only so much to go around. But I think students really sell themselves short. if They don't think about those qualities that without even without the title, they bring.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what about, um, like, who who are business majors? Like who, because I mean, you and I checked in before this discussion and I think that often students who want to major in business, it's it's really, they're just kind of jumping ahead to their career. They're not thinking about like what the actual major means. They're just like, I want to make money, which fair enough, I want to make money too. Um, You know, (laughs) like they want to have a good, you know, they want to have a good life. They want to have some money to spend. Like they don't want to stress. Fair enough. That's a good goal. But it's about more than that. So let's kind of dig into that.
3: So I was on a number of different websites for different schools as we were thinking about this particular segment. And you will see the same types of words pop up about the types of programs and the types of students that they're looking for. So yes, there are the students that are thinking hey, look, I'm good with numbers, business makes sense, right? There are also the students, like you said, who think, I really want to be successful in life, whatever that means, and think business might be the way. But words pop up a lot in, as you look at business schools, like innovation, creativity, problem-solving, Identifying problems and figuring out ways to pro- to problem solve, teamwork, um, ingenuity, right? I mean, though entrepreneurship, right? Which was Babson. So it's not just those numbers type students. It's students who look at the world in different ways. Again, identify problems or issues or something that's missing and want to figure out how do we make that happen. What I loved about Babson in particular, but I think business can give students the skills to do this is that many students came in saying, I don't really know exactly what I want to do, but I know to bring up there, I know I love theater and I'm not going to be an actress, but maybe one day I'll run a theater, right? Maybe one day I'll, I'll work for Ticketmaster, right? I mean, the, the students are able to figure out how can I work in the business of what I love? If, I'm not going to be sort of a a star on Broadway or, you know, a a music uh, recorder, you know, what can I do that's going to kind of make me part of it. And business is a great way to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And this is so important too. So now I'm kind of thinking about it with my brain, like, Like um, I was sort of the opposite where I thought like I'm on a mission to help people and, you know, business isn't part of that. And like any theater that runs is a not-for-profit. I mean, those things are on razor slit, like just the narrowest of margins. And I think that one of the things I didn't realize and that a lot of people don't realize is how helpful like a business education can be for someone who is interested in working in a not-for-profit, for example. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. We talked about that all the time at Babson particularly. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically we had a a sheet that kind of showed where all of our students went after six months after graduation and you know some parents would be surprised that we didn't have 75 percent of our students you know entrepreneurs right or that mm-hmm. students certain salaries weren't you know much higher than they are and we did have a program for non-for-profit, right? For for management of non-profits. Mm -hmm. Students weren't coming out with tons of money, right? So that's definitely um, something to think about. And Babson did talk a lot about, we want to educate you to go out and do good, right? For Mm -hmm. the people, for the planet, that was a big piece of, you know, certainly product and to actually make a profit. But people and planet were part of that.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really wonderful. And Babson isn't the only business school. Like I was looking at Notre Dame's website and they are all about like the Jesuit values and, you know, how are you, how is this going to better, um, you know, the lives of people, those around you. Right. I I was was looking at Miami.
3: They were talking a lot about global, right. And international business, um, there's, you're going to find a lot of personalities at different schools as well, based mm-hmm. on what some of their interests are, sometimes based on their location. But you'll find some of that philosophy and, and personality in lots of different schools.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, there was one thing I wanted to highlight that I forgot. Um, we talked about extracurriculars, but we didn't talk about part-time jobs. And I think those are really useful, right?
3: How did we miss that? We talked a lot about that. Yeah, I think that personally, I think that can be one of the best ways to show your interest in business. And my favorite student, I talked to you about this, worked as a dishwasher at a very, very busy restaurant in the summer. And he used that experience so much in his applications, just about what he learned about business, what he learned from the owner, what he learned in the kitchen, observing everything from the waitstaff to the sous chef, to food waste, There was a lot that he was able to talk about Mm -hmm. just from that position. Um, Working at your grocery store, all of those cute little store downtown, whatever it might be, camp counselor. Those are all great, great Mm -hmm. ways to kind of get your feet wet.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And learn about different kinds of places and the different kinds of people that you might have to work with. So absolutely. All right. Well, I think that that wraps it up. Thank you so much, Kimberly. It was nice to talk to you, Sally. Nice to talk to you. All right. And thanks so much to Shannon for joining me. Um, Everybody get ready for our show next week because it is going to be a great one. Beth Heaton will be interviewing Jeffrey Selengo. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. He's the author of Who Gets In and Why. Uh, You might remember that Ian Fisher, Shannon, and I discussed it um, in the January 28th episode. We thought it was a great book. Everybody should read it. You should read it, Kimberly. (laughs) um, And then come back and listen to us talking about it, too. Um, also, I want to let everybody know that we're running a contest anytime before May 4th. Um, please review us, um, on Apple podcast. And if you do, you will be automatically entered in a raffle for two hours of free counseling, college counseling with Beth Heaton. The winner is going to be announced on our May 13th episode. All right. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. You can download every show on iTunes. And if you want to search for a particular show topic, you can go to our blog blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. That's blog.getintocollege.com. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific.